all things gruesome and historical to the comfort of your own home or car or wherever it is you're listening from. My name is Hannah Purdyman and I'm here with my father Kevin Purdyman to discuss some of the most famous and infamous murders that took place in the medieval and early modern periods. Medieval Murder came to be first as a blog, then as an Instagram, and now as a podcast after I finished my master's dissertation on homicide in early medieval England. The podcast will feature some of the most famous murders in medieval history, some mini-episode series on different types of medieval murders, and interviews with historians and history enthusiasts alike. Today, we'll be talking about Icelandic sagas, specifically one of the sagas of the Icelanders, that of Eagle. Before we get into the saga itself, we need to provide some background information. The sagas of the Icelanders are a genre saga that are stories about different families in the medieval period. The stories are kind of a crossover between history and story, and are almost what Icelanders would consider historical fiction. Most of these stories were written several hundred years after the events themselves, and were told through a sort of oral tradition until they were written down. Eagle's saga spans a period of about 150 years, from 850 to 1000-ish, and it, it, it was put into written language between 1220 and 1240. While it's an Icelandic saga, it begins in Norway and frequently bounces back and forth between Iceland and Norway. What we're going to see today is everything that took place in Norway. So the saga begins with Eagle's grandfather, Ulf the Fearless. Ulf was a big, strong man, and it was said that no man was a match for him. As a youth, he became a Viking and went raiding. His companion during this time was Kerry, a man of high birth, strength, and courage. He was also a berserk. A berserk? A berserk or a berserker was a warrior in the Viking tradition. And they almost, they were very feared. They'd almost go into a trance when they did battle. And they were said to be as strong as bears and oxen and as vicious as a wolf. And now there's... Some of the historians think that they may have taken a mushroom to achieve that trance-like state. Interesting. Okay. So, Carrie and Ulf were very good friends. When they had given up raiding, Carrie returned to his farm a very wealthy man. He had three children, two sons, Evening Lamb and Orlev Hump, and a beautiful daughter, Salaborn. Ulf and Salaborn were wed and Ulf returned to his farm. Ulf was a landowner like his ancestors, rich in both lands and possessions. Ulf rose early and went to bed early. He was a clever farmer and offered advice to those who worked the land for him. He was pleasant in the morning, but extremely bad-tempered in the evening. People began, believed him to be a shapeshifter, and he was nicknamed Kudolf Nightwolf. Now, all of these names we don't actually know the true pronunciation of just as yeah i'm gonna do a really bad job of pronunciation i try to find a couple apps and it's just not sticking with me um so anyway the night wolf had two sons the oldest was thorolf and he took after his mother and was attractive ambitious endearing and eager to prove his worth 
The youngest son was Grimm, who was Eagle's father. He was ugly and resembled his father in appearance and disposition. He was skilled in working with wood and iron and became a great craftsman. At 20, the oldest son, Thorlof, went raiding with Kerry's sons, Evlev and Orlev, in longships that their fathers had given them. They spent several summers raiding, returning home to their father's farms with their plunder to winter. You know, at the time, the Vikings, they, they lived on farms predominantly. They were farmers, but they did go raiding and they did a lot of trade. At this point, we're going to have King Harold enter the story. He swore an oath not to cut his hair until unified Norway under his rule. He was called Harold Tanglehair. Later, after completing his oath, he became Harold Fairhair. At the time, Norway was divided into many districts or provinces ruled by kings with their earls working for the kings. King Harold did battle with many neighboring districts successfully in the south of Norway. He took over Opland in central Norway, which if you're familiar with uh, Norway would probably be directly north of Oslo, about halfway up Norway, and moved his way north into Trondheim district successfully. Namuel laid further north, ruled by two kings. They were brothers, Herlog and Horlog. As word reached Nalum further north that Harold was on his way, Herlog and 11 of his men walked into a mound they had built and had it closed on them. So they were shut into the mound to do their political dealings? No, that's, that's, that's not why they went into the mound and had it closed on them. Okay, well, why, were, why was it closed on them? They, it was actually kind of a suicide. Um, so the mound was, they had constructed this mound over three years' time to do battle. But when they heard that Harold was coming, they didn't want to face his army, and they were basically entombed in the mound. Oh, okay. Wow. So, and then... With his brother dead, Horlog stepped down as king, taking the title of Earl, and handed over his kingdom to Harold. Harold then took over Hogeland further to the north and appointed men to rule his name. Harold then set sail down the west coast of Norway to do battle in Romsdale, north and south more. The districts were beginning to band together to resist Harold's rule. As, as they heard the stories of how Harold was treating people, they decided... They wanted to fight rather than to succumb to his rule. The king of Northmore sent his son to Arvin, the king of Southmore, with a message. Although this misfortune has befallen us now, it will not be very long before the same happens to you, because I think Harold will be here soon. Once he has brought slavery and suffering to everyone he chooses in Northmore and Romsdale, you will face the same choice we had, either to muster and I'll provide my forces too against such aggression and injustice, or to follow the course taken by the Namuel who voluntarily entered servitude and became Harold's slaves. My father felt it an honor to die nobly as king of his own realm rather than become subservient to another king in his old age. I think you will feel the same, so will any other stalwarts who want to prove their worth. Arnon agreed to the the alliance and sent word to Adrebron, the king of the Fjorn province. 
Ajaborn also agreed with the alliance and sent messages to the powerful men in the province. When Kulnuf the Night Wolf received the message, his response that he would fight in Fjordjorn, but it was not his duty to take his men to fight in, in Moor. So he was a very, wanted to stay at home, do his thing, and if he was directly attacked, he would respond, but he wasn't going to travel and fight someone else's battle. Okay, and so the Night Wolf is still in Norway. He's still in Norway, going to be in Norway throughout our entire story today. Um, okay. But he he's very obstinate, didn't like authority, but at the same time, he knew his limitations and didn't want to challenge it unnecessarily. So a great battle ensued with heavy losses on both sides. King, Kings Arvnid and Audreborn were both killed. Harold had control of North and South Moor at this time. However, King Audreborn's brother retained control of the Fjordjorn province, which is where the Night Wolf lived. So things hadn't changed for the Night Wolf really at this point. But it, you know when we're talking North Moor and South Moor, Trondheim is north of there and that's where King Harold was coming from and Trondheim I believe is either inside the Arctic Circle or it might be just outside of it but it is very far north in Norway. The next spring Harold did manage to take over Fjordjorn and Flandern provinces which were further south of uh, South Moor. Harold kept a close eye on anyone he suspected of possibly rebelling. He gave them options of leaving the country, entering a service, or the choice of hardship. And the choice of hardship could result in them paying with their lives, or sometimes they were maimed. Some had their arms and legs maimed. In each province, Harold took over all of the estates, all the land, and made the farmers his tenants. Everyone had to pay Harold tribute. Faced with Harold's tyranny, many people fled the, to un, uninhabited places, to the east in Jampland, which would be like north, northern part of Sweden today, and Halsing to the west in the Hebrides, the Shire of Dublin, Ireland, Normandy, Caithness in Scotland, the Orkney and Shetland Islands, and the Faroe Islands. And it was at this time that Iceland was discovered. Okay, and so all of these places, to them at least, were uninhabited. Correct. Did they just think that, or did they, had they been there before to know that? I, I think they'd been to some of these places, but like, um, obviously Normandy, Dublin, they were probably inhabited, but they saw it as a place where they might be able to go and fit in. Okay. And, and then, you know, as far as the Faroe Islands, they're kind of uninhabited today. I mean, it, it's a rough life there. The Orkney Islands in the north of Scotland, a really rough place. And, you know, unless you were fleeing somebody, I don't think you were going to be like, this is where I want to live. You know, kind of, the, kind of the same for Iceland. Okay. So Harold requested that the Night Wolf come meet him because he had heard stories of the Night Wolf and he wanted to meet, meet this guy. The Night Wolf refused to go, saying he was too old. The messenger said that Grimm should go in his place and he would become a landowner. Grimm refused, saying that as long as his father was alive, his father was a superior and he was going to follow what his father did. 
Their responses infuriated King Harold with their arrogance. Hearing this, Oliver calmed Harold down and asked him to go talk with him. Olive goes to King goes to the Night Wolf. As Olive hears that the Night Wolf and Grim have refused the king's offer, he tries to calm the king down and he asks to go talk to the Night Wolf himself. Because Olive has that relationship with Thorough from going raiding earlier in his life. So Olive goes to the Night Wolf and explains how angry Harold is. The Night Wolf again refuses, but says he will be friendly to Harold and encourage everyone else to do the same. The Night Wolf makes the comment that Harold will not bring good fortune to his family. Olive returns to Harold saying that Thorwolf would join him when he gets home from raiding. So Olive kind of takes a little, I don't know, theatrical presence and says, hey, you know, the Night Wolf and Grim aren't coming. But the other son, Thorloff, will, will come by and chat with you as soon as he's done raiding. When Thorloff returns, his father tells him what has transpired with Harold, saying his family would not be joining Harold and added he felt that they would die because of Harold. Thorloff says he will join Harold as he sees as an opportunity to prove himself and earn honor from Harold. Many people chose to join the king, including Olive Hump and his brother, Inuin Lamb, the sons of Kerry, who were originally friend, friends with the Night Wolf going raiding with them. The sons went raiding together, you know, and they kind of had that division where we're going to join the king where the Night Wolf's like, I don't think so. So at this point, is this kind of like a backstabbing move? It's hard to say if it really is. As the story plays out, you can kind of see different loyalties um i don't i don't think that the night wolf sees the move with carrie and his sons as being backstabbing to him i think he's realistic enough that you know if that's what people chose to do they could go ahead and do it you know he wasn't going to do it but he was i don't think he was going to judge people or judge his friends for doing it i, I didn't get that feel at all reading reading the text. When Thorolf joins King, the king, he becomes friends with a man named Bard. Bard's father was a wealthy landowner and collected tribute for the king from adjoining lands. Bard's grandfather, after his wife died, purchased a woman with an ounce of gold and had two sons with her, Harik and Herik, from his second wife. Bard did not view them as being legitimate relations and did not feel they had claim to any of the inheritance. And is that because he had purchased this woman? Yes, I think it's because he had purchased them, purchased the woman. I didn't get the feeling that they were married when he had these kids, so they might have been illegitimate. So Bard went on a trip with his father to exact tribute. And there he met Sigrid and fell in love and was to marry her the next year. Bard was already friends with Olive Hump, who was in service to the king, returned to the king, and Bard begins his friendship with Thorolf. Thorolf had been well received by the king. Bard asked Thorolf to travel with him to the wedding. There he meets Sigrid and many important kinsmen. He stays with Bard and Sigrid after the wedding until Bard returned to the king in the autumn. That winter, Bard's father died, 
and the king made Bard the landowner and granted him the revenue of his father. Bard returned to his home and received his inheritance, while Horik and Herrick received no compensation. Bard and Sigrid had a son called Grim. Thorf remained with the king in honor. King Harold mounted a massive fleet and traveled south from Trondheim at this time to fulfill his oath to, of unifying Norway. So at this point, he's still Harold Tangled Hair. Correct, he is. He still okay. hasn't. He still hasn't taken over Norway. He Doesn't started rush through that. Yeah, he he started kind of south, kind of Oslo, and then he moved up the interior to Trondheim way up to Hogland, and then he starting his way down. And part of the reason that Harold started to move south was he had heard of a massive army being assembled in the south. On Harold's ship were Thorolf, Bard, Olive Hump, and his brother Inland Lamb. They, managed, they manned the prow, while t the king's 12 berserkers manned the gunwales. It was the greatest battle King Harold had ever fought. There were many casualties on both sides. It was the last battle King Harold fought in Norway, and he succeeded in taking control of all of Norway. At this point, he becomes Harold Fairhair. Thorof was badly injured, but Bard's injuries were more severe. Thorof eventually recovered from his wounds, while Bard's proved fatal. Before he died, Bard summoned the king and related to him that he wanted Thorof to inherit everything. My goods, my lands, I want to put my wife and son in his care, for I trust him. The king agreed to this. Thorof traveled to Trollgard Island, leaving the king on good terms. Thorof was now charged with collecting the knight's tribute from the laps. Okay, so where was Togar Island? So, Trollgard Island is on the Atlantic Ocean and it's north of Trondheim. It's definitely inside the Arctic Circle. And to the north of that is Sandness, another island where Bard's wife Sigrid is from. Okay, gotcha. So he tells the people of Trogard of Bard's death and the king's message that he's into inherit Bard's possessions, family, and his role basically and provides the king's tokens as proof. Sigrid takes Bard's death very hard, but knowing Thorlof to be a good man agrees to the marriage. Wow, that's a quick recovery time for Sigrid. Well, it, you know, it's really hard to tell time in these stories. You know, it's best I can figure from the time he starts raiding to the end of the story is going to be about eight to ten years. Okay, so Sigrid may not have seen Bard in, a, in quite some time. Correct. And she okay. already, she knew, she knew Thorif because he accompanied Bard to the marriage and he wintered with him after the marriage because once winter hits, you're not traveling. So he stayed with him probably the first, maybe the first year of marriage. Okay. So they, they had already known each other and I guess were probably friends. So that first winter that they're together, Sigrid's father dies, and Thorif inherits his property and possessions. Remember I talked about the island of Sandness? So he's got his farm, his, his father-in-law's, he inherits 
that as well as what Bard had. So Thorwolf is becoming a rich man. About this time, Herrick and Harak come to Thorolf and explain their claim to what they see as their inheritance. But Thorolf dismisses them, telling him he is carrying out Bard's wishes with the approval of the king. And Herrick and Harak are not happy. So Thorolf is very successful in dealing with the laps, collecting the tribute. Um, he begins trading with them. One thing that he did that was different was he took a rather large band of men to collect his tribute, the king's tribute. He'd take like 90 guys with him. At the time, it was about the, the custom or the standard was the king's men would take about 30 guys with him to collect the tribute. So Thorolf shows up with 90 guys and people are more than happy to really open up and share with the king their wealth or face the wrath of 90 guys. And while he'd take like 90 guys with him, he usually had on his property there on Trogard Island, probably about 100 guys living with him. And he would do everything he could to provide for them and make them happy. You know, it's, and he shared a lot of his wealth and in, in keeping everything going. So King Harold was traveling in Hogland, which is north of Trondheim, and it's kind of between Trondheim and Trogard Island. So King Harold is traveling that summer and he's welcomed, he's welcomed by feasts from farmers and landowners in the region. Thorof, hearing that the king is coming, plans a lavish feast to welcome the king. Thorof invited many important people, the guests greeting the king numbered 500, while the king arrived with about 300 in the party. And Thorof had really planned ahead and he had built a large barn because he knew he was going to invite a lot of people. So he built a, a huge barn to host the event. The king's reaction to the feast was sullen and almost angry, even though Thorolf had provided the finest provisions. The king stayed three days as planned, and on the last day, Thorolf asked the king to meet him at the shore, which he did. There, Thorolf presented the king with a fully rigged ship with a dragon on the prow. He told the king that he invited 500 people, not as a challenge to him, but rather a gesture to honor him. The king grew more lighthearted, and they parted as friends. Okay, so he took the feast as a show of strength and as a threat. Correct. So in some of this, some of it you can see where if you're in power and you're the king, you get a little paranoid. Mm. And we'll kind of, and people play on that, and we're going to see that here in a minute. The king continued his, on his travels and was invited to a feast by Herrick and Harrick. The feast was sparsely attended, but lasted for three days, and the king was in good spirits. The, the brothers told the king that they were glad no harm came to him at Thorolf's feast. They told him that Thorolf intended to kill him by arms and fire. The plan was to get him and his men drunk, and when they passed out, they would attack them and burn the barn they were in. The brothers told him that the reason he had the barn built was so that he can burn the king and his men in the barn rather than his house, which was fairly new at the time. The brothers told him the plan did not come together, so his life was spared. 
The brothers then explained to the king their claim to what Thorof had inherited. They said they could collect the tribute to him just as well. The king was furious at this, but remained calm. The brothers and the king parted on good terms with them providing him many gifts. The brothers found reason from that point forward to run into the king and were always treated warmly. Okay, so they, they kind of backstabbed Thorolf because he took all of their father's land and, and their mother. Um, Correct. Or not, they, not their mother, their... Well, what they saw is their inheritance. Yes, okay. So they, they thought Thorolf wasn't being fair with them. And so now they're they're playing on the king. Okay, so here's where the backstabbing comes in. Yeah, there's going to be a little bit going on here, but you know it, it is told. You know, one this note should be made. It is told from Thoros family's point of view. Okay. So as you read this, sometimes you're thinking, well, maybe Thoros was trying to usurp the king. You know. Yeah. I mean, but maybe, maybe he wasn't. But these two guys are definitely trying to get what they thought is theirs. That summer, Thorleif travels to see the king and offer him his tribute personally. The king would not see Thorleif, but ask Olaf Hump to speak to the king on his behalf. After Olaf talks to the king, the king agrees to meet with Thorleif and asks him to turn his band of men over to him and join his service being his standard bearer. Because the king's not trusting Thorof right now, and he wants to keep him close so he can keep an eye on him. Thorof refused, saying that as long as he could provide for his men, by his own means, he would. This greatly upset the king. Thorof told the king he would always be welcome at the estates in sadness. The king said he would never accept Thorof's hospitality. Thorof continued trading with the Laps and began raiding with the king from the east, and his success continued. He had a, a friend, Thorolus, a man he entrusted with taking care of his estate when he was away and everything that went on on a daily basis. He started sending him to England to trade every summer. Um, and he would return with cloth, wheat, honey, provisions to keep the estate stocked for the winter. Thorolus always returned with a large quantity of all this stuff. And he did this for several summers. But... Thorof would be, go out, do trades, collect tribute, and then he'd take his portion of the tribute and stuff that he traded, and he'd reinvest it in his, in his farms and the people that worked for him. Because the king did not tr trust Thorof, he revoked his duties and inheritance and turned it over to the brothers Harak and Herak. When the brothers brought the king's message and tokens to the people of Trogar Island, they were very displeased because they liked Thorof. The brothers chose to travel with a smaller band of men and were much less successful in the amount they collected for the king. This displeased the king. The brothers explained to the king that Thorof had been before them in Lapland and Finnmark and taken much from the people. They told the king that Thorof was trying to take the northern provinces and make himself king. Thorof's re reaction to losing his estate and his land in Trogar, he didn't miss a beat. He just was like, okay, I'm going to my wife's father's estate that I inherited to the north at Sandness. And he just continued 
continued doing what he was doing. Thorolf continues raiding to the east in Lapland and Finnmark and to the south in Denmark. And here's where he makes a mistake. He does some raids in Norway under the control of the king's land. There are two brothers, Stigrid and Halbrod, who were close relations to the king and were in charge of collecting tribute in the southern province of Norway. The tribute they collected became less due to Thorolf's raiding. The king had heard Thorolf's trips to England and asked Sigrid and Harvard to spy on him and seize the ship and cargo and let the crew go on their way if they did not offer resistance. They were able to seize the ship and cargo. They left Thorolf and the crew ashore with only the clothes they were wearing. The king saw that Herrick and Harrick were being truthful and that the cargo was very valuable. So I suspect they were telling the king about these trips that were being made to England to kind of reinforce maybe Thorolf's standing and power to the people that were serving Thorolf. At this time, Thorolf's brother Grimm met Bera, the only daughter and child of a wealthy landowner. The match was made and Grimm and Bera were married. While Grimm was only 25, he was completely bald and he became known as Skallgrim or Baldgrim. That, that's a little rough considering they're up in, in the coldest part of the world, really, and he's, he's bald. Well, he's got, I mean, they've got beaver pelts, they've got mink pelts, so I'm sure they've got a lot of furs. That was one of the main things they traded was with the laps and the people was um, fur and you know it was at sometimes fur might have been more valuable than gold at that time um, we kind of left the night wolf and Grimm kind of doing their thing on the farm and now Grimm kind of re-enters the picture he's getting married um, he's going to run his father's farm so Thorless after he'd been after his ship had been seized and he'd been left on shore, nothing but his clothes. Thorless goes to see the Night Wolf and Grimm and told them what had happened. The Night Wolf told him to tell Thorolf that he should forget the loss of the ship and the cargo because he was facing overwhelming odds. At this time, he suggests Thorolf might do better for himself by serving the King of England, Denmark, or Sweden. He then gave Thorless a fully rigged and provisioned boat for his travels. So Thorless traveled back to Sandness and told Thorolf what had happened. Thorolf took his loss well and made arrangements to replace what had been lost, selling some of his possessions and land so he could provide for the people that were working for him. But overall, he was in good spirits. His father told him he foresaw the troubles Thorolf would have when he went into service with the king and that while he was powerful, he was still no match for the king, and it was fruitless to challenge him. When they parted, Koldov told him he believed that it would be the last time they would see each other. In the fall, Sigtrig and Halvard, upset by Thorolf's raiding in the south, met with the king and asked permission to kill Thorolf. Harold denied this, as he said they lacked the good fortune and skill to carry out the deed. 
They went again in the spring and asked the king the same question. This time he said yes. So why did he change his mind so quickly? Well, I, he probably didn't change his mind that quickly because they had gone in the winter and asked him if they could kill him. And maybe his first was like, no. And then the more he thought about it, it was time to get rid of Thoroff. It's kind of what I think happened there. I mean, there was nothing that I read that like overtly would have changed his mind. So, uh, you know, so, so now we have the two brothers, Herrick and Harrick, already putting a lot of doubt about Thoroff in the king's minds. And now we have two more guys coming in saying that Thoroff's bad and is challenging him. And so the king's going to take some action. So that spring, the brothers leave for Sandless to kill Thoroff. Shortly after they leave, the king also set sail, meeting him there. When they arrived at Sandless, they found the guards were drinking and they were able to surround the house. They raised the standard and sounded the war trumpets. One of the king's men ordered all the women and children, old people, bondsmen, and slaves to leave. Sigrid Thorod's wife asked to be taken to the king. And she did this by asking for Carrie's sons, Ingman Lamb or Olive Hump. And she was, she was taken to the king. There she asked if there could be reconciliation be between the king and Thorolf. The king sent Olive Hump to Thorolf with the same request as before for Thorolf to surrender his men and join the king in service as his standard bearer. Again, Thorolf refused. The king ordered the house set afire as he did not want to face Thorolf in the open. With the house burning, Thorolf and his men took down one of the beams and used it as a battering ram to break down one of the walls to make their exit. They attacked the king's men, not having to worry about being attacked from the back as the house was burning. Many of Thorolf's men were burned, but they continued to battle the king. Thorolf was made it within steps of the king, but was struck down mortally and killed by a blow from the king. At this point, the king called for the attack to stop and the wounded to be tended to. That seems a little anticlimactic that he just got a little close to the king. And just that was it. Yeah, but you got to I mean, if you think about what the setting would would be like is you know, your house is on fire, you come running out, you're battling through the king's men because I'm pretty sure the king was not the lead guy. So he had to have taken out several individuals to get that close to the king in an attempt to kill him. The king ordered a fitting barrel for Thorolf and a death stone was erected in his honor. He left Olaf Hump and his brother, Inrin Lamb, to help with the dead and wounded and put the farm back in order. The king also gave Inrin Lamb the estate at Sandness, and he felt that he would be a good match for Sigrid. Aaron Lamb traveled back to Sandness, took control of the estate, and married Sigrid. Poor Sigrid just is being passed oh, around to all these other husbands. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're probably talking a span of eight years, and Sigrid's been married three, three times. times. Three times, and I I don't know. I don't think it was. A great time to be a woman, I do not, I do not believe. Oh, no. So now we've got Erin Lamb at the estate in Sandmiss, 
Trogard Island under the control of the king. And on Trogard Island, when Thorolf was kind of the ruler there, he, he made friends with a Kettle Hang, and they became really good friends. Kettle had heard of the king's plan to kill Thorolf, and he had mustered men to come to Thorolf's aid. And as he was traveling, he, he heard of Thorolf's death, so some of the men that he had mustered dispersed and went back, and they started traveling back to Trollgard Island. At this time, they ran across the two brothers, Harik and Herrick, and they had a much smaller force. And apparently, Kettle did not have a lot of love loss for these two guys, so they had 60 guys with them. Herrick and Harik had less. They attacked and killed them with some of them escaping, and then they took all the booty that they could from him and went back to Trogard Island. Upon arriving at getting back to Trogard Island, he knew he was going to be facing someone's wrath because he had stepped out of line probably a little bit. So he loaded two Nors with all his possessions, his kids, his wife, and all the guys that were with him. And they took the Nors and they set sail for Iceland. They didn't even wait for anything to happen. They just, they were out Okay, so what is a Nor? At that time, there were a seafaring people. They had a lot of different boats. You know, you had the, the long ships that were the basically the battle boats, maybe 32 oars on a side that they would go and they'd do battle with. The Nors were slightly bigger, and they were broader in the middle, and they were more seaworthy. So you could you could load livestock in them. You could load your possessions in them. And, and you are relatively safe to travel that long distance, either to Scotland, Ireland, and even Iceland, and later on Greenland. So they were they were pretty big seaworthy boats. Now that Thorolf has died, the Night Wolf hears about it and is so saddened by the news he takes to his bed, overcome by grief and old age. Now Skalgrim or Baldgrim went to visit him regularly, trying to talk him around. And he was trying to convince his father that, you know, rather than laying around in bed, we should exact revenge. Seems fair. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, there's a certain line of revenge, and then there's the certain um, line of inheritance. But apparently, it helped the Night Wolf click around, because Kel... The Nightwolf spoke a verse. The spinner of fate is grim to me. I fear that Thorolf has met his end. On Northern Island too early, the thunder chose the swinger of swords. The old, the hag of old age who once wrestled with Thor has left me unprepared to join. The Valkyrie's clash of stella urge is my spirit. May my revenge will not be swift. So basically what he's saying there is, is that it was fate that Thorolf made his end. The thunder chose the swinger of swords and that the thunder is a reference to Odin, the god. And, that, and, that, and he's saying because of his age, he wasn't able to die that death that will get you to Valhalla. So because he 
will not be able to exact his revenge. He's not going to get to Valhalla. Well, in order to go to Valhalla, you have to be a warrior that dies in battle. Oh, okay. And so, because because he wasn't with Thorolf in the battle, and it's not likely that he's going to die in in battle, he may not meet his son in Valhalla. But he also realizes that revenge for Thorolf may not be swift. And this is a guy that had some vision because he he knew from the very start that their fate with the king would not be in their favor. And he says that throughout that, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're not going to win with this guy. So the summer after Thorolf's death, Olive Hump suggests to the king that he make compensation for Thorolf. After much discussion, Olaf was sent to the Night Wolf and his brother Grim, Skalgrim, and proposed they should go to meet the king. The Night Wolf refused, saying that he was old and should not be traveling. But Grim agreed to go meet the king. As he prepared for his journey, he gathered 12 of the biggest men he could find to go with them. They were all said to be shapeshifters, and one was more like a giant than a man. Three of them were sons of the sorceress Thorian. When the king was informed of their arrival, he was told they looked more like giants than men. Olive Hump spoke eloquently to the king and asked him to receive them. When the king saw Skalgrim standing a head taller than the person in front of him, he said, You are Grim, and if you are here seeking compensation to your brother, I want you to join me and become one of my men. Grim spoke. Everyone knows that Thorolf was much more able than I in all respects, but he lacked the good fortune to serve you properly. I will not take that course. I will not serve you because I know I lacked the good fortune to serve you the way I would like and you deserve. At this, the king turned red faced and silent. But if you really think about what Grimm is saying there, I mean, it sounds kind of like, yeah, I, I appreciate it, but I wouldn't be good at the job. But if you look at it a different way, he lacks the good fortune to serve you properly. I will not take that course. I will not serve you because I know I lack the good fortune to serve you the way I would like, which might be the way he would like mean to kill him <laughs> and you deserve so if you take it that way, it could it could be saying, I I'd be happy to serve you if I could kill you. Yeah, that I mean that seems fair. At this the king turned red faced and silent. Olive Hump asked Grimm and his men to leave, because he knew things weren't going good. The king had already sent men to kill the party, but they returned to the king saying they could find no usable boats to cross the lake, and the party was gone now. Shortly after Grimm had left, the king said of him, I can see that huge bald man is vicious as a wolf and will do harm to men over whose loss I would grieve. That bald character cannot be expected to spare any of you. The people he claims have done him wrong. Go after him now and kill him. It doesn't look like, like bald Grimm is going to have much longer of a life. No, it's not looking good for Balgrim, 
But you know how we were talking about relationships and stuff. You know, as soon as Bald Graham had left with his man, Olive Hump was with him and said, you need to be on your guard against the king, you know, because he's mad and, you know, don't come to see the king until you're on good terms with him. And they set sail across a lake because they had to cross a lake to get to the king. So they got in their boat and set sail across the lake. And Olive Hump had his men hack up the boats and make them unseaworthy so that the band that was coming to chase down Skullgrim and kill him couldn't cross the lake. So these guys return back and say, we couldn't get him. There were no good boats. And the reason they were no good boats was Olive Hump, who back in the day was friends with Orof. So, so we were talking about was Olive kind of, Olive's still kind of middle of the road here. I mean, he's <laughs> playing both sides of the fence, I think. So when Skullgrim got home, he told the Night Wolf about the outcome of his journey. The Night Wolf said he was glad that Grim did not enter the king's service because they received nothing but harm from the king and no reparation. They discussed over and over what to do and realized they must leave Norway. The idea of Iceland appealed to them as they had heard of the fine land was available there and they already had some friends living there. Wow, okay. So we didn't even make it to Eagle yet, even though it's Eagle's saga. Correct. I mean, you know, Skullgrim's going to be his father, and he's got married. Up to this point, there's no baby of Skullgrim. So Egil has is not even on the horizon, and we haven't even made it to Iceland yet. You know, when we're talking about Egil um, and some of the sagas, um, when you get more into Egil's saga, it is more like the verse that we read from the Night Wolf about his son's death. So some of the, the sagas are almost poetic and they're divided into different different ones. And you got revenge, you got poetic, you got warrior. Um, Eggles is more of a poetic warrior type saga. And we're gonna see him later, um, what he does in Iceland and about him returning to Norway off and on, and there's a little bit of revenge factor when he does. Okay, so we'll definitely be seeing more more murder in the future. Correct. I mean, the sagas are very interesting, and they're at the same time they're a they are a commitment because the way we read and the way things are written now, you really have to process it and sometimes read it a couple of times so it makes sense. Um, the author in this book that I'm reading has done a great job explaining explaining things, but actually keeping it in that same verse, but then taking time to explain the verse. Some of the things that are hard is keeping the people straight because where, you know, you, you see, well, you see poor Sigrid, you know, she she's had three marriages, you know, the relationship between Thorolf and Arlov and lamb and bard and you know so it's hard sometimes to keep who's who straight but it, it's de they're definitely great stories yeah awesome 
them. Well, we will definitely be coming back to finish Eagle Saga later in a different episode of the podcast. Um, So thank you for listening to Medieval Murder. In two weeks, we will have the creator of Twitter's Midsummer Murder Bot, Dr. Matthew Berryman, on to discuss different murder methods in the medieval period. Thank you.